0: Welcome to the Panoramic Outdoors Podcast, connecting you to all things outdoors.
1: Welcome to episode 109 of the Panoramic Outdoors podcast. This afternoon, evening or morning, wherever, whenever you're listening to us, we're going to be chatting with Dan Johnson. Uh, Dan leads up the Sportsman Nation uh, podcast network there and uh, also is a board member for 2% for conservation. So lots to chat about. But before we get in on that, I'm just wondering, uh, Chase Sheldon, you guys had a bit of a, a bit of a connection on the weekend
2: there am i correct yeah we had a connection that's for sure we met up at pelican lake if anybody doesn't know where that is that's like south of brandon manitoba it's like a lake that's surrounded by big hills in the prairies it's kind of a really unique place to get to um but a beautiful spot we, we actually stayed at pelican lake campground and lounge um at, a, at an airbnb there and uh we I out at the lounge there for a little bit, checked out some of their drinks and food. Everything was very, very good. I highly recommend if anyone's going to Pelican Lake to do um, like a fishing trip or maybe something this summer. Uh, I know they have like snowmobile trails, skiing, whatever. There's lots to do down there. Um, check out Pelican Lake Campground and Lounge. They're really, really good to us. Um, and like I said, stayed in a, like pretty much like a five-star Airbnb, in my opinion. Very nice, very clean.
0: I'll tell you what, man. I'm going to be going back there in the summertime for sure. Like, yeah. that place is waterfront the uh bar and lounge is right next door and it has a massive outdoor patio that looks out over to the water and uh i think it'd be a, just an amazing time the food there everyone just raves about the food so you know yeah how can you go wrong you guys and have to
1: tell me i i haven't been in a lounge in a long time for a variety of reasons but i've been daydreaming about it like
2: Man, there's something, there's something to be said about going to the lounge and having an ice-cold beer out of a bottle and being able to sh- kind of share it with friends. Not share the actual beer, but, like, sit around and talk to friends and, and see other people. And um, it was actually pretty funny because in that lounge, they have, like, one of those. It's I don't even know how to explain it. It's like a quarter game. You put a quarter in, it's got a bunch of, like, sliding things, and you want the quarters to fall down into the slot so you, like, kind of win money. But really, you're not going to win any money um but yeah we played that and yeah just had fun and lots of laughs so it was good it was a good atmosphere
1: nice man and then you, you hit the ice a little eh so how the how the fishing go
2: uh the fishing was was i thought it was pretty good like uh first of all i've only fished there one other time and i think i caught one jackfish so getting on the on the lake on friday night with owen and he was kind of showing me some of his spots that's owen lockhart and um yeah, and caught some perch and some walleye, and got up the next morning even before Chase got there, and and we probably caught like forty to sixty fish um, before noon, and then went in for lunch and met up with Chase, and then it kind of slowed slowed down a little bit when Chase got there. <laughs> but there's no surprise because when Chase and I fish together, we don't usually do well.
0: But T- wow, typical, sick. typical. You did uh, land a pretty nice perch there, and uh, Jared landed a nice walleye that that afternoon as well, and it was a uh, turned out to be a pretty great evening on the on the ice. Um, we probably, I don't know. I think Owen was just crushing like small perch right beside us, but we couldn't really see through his truck door. But, uh, (laughs) so I I would have to say we probably iced probably close to like 20 to 30 fish, which is not terrible. I missed a bunch as usual and, uh, lots of fish on the, on the old flasher that just weren't biting. But, uh, one thing we did put to work out there was that Jiffy rogue. And, man, I tell you what, the more I use that thing, the more I enjoy using it. You know what I mean?
2: Oh, yeah. And the I thought the cool thing was we had the Jiffy Rogue there. There was a Strike Master there. There was an Ion there. And the, guy, like the people that had the Ion, I mean, they wanted to try the Rogue, of course. But, like, you could just tell the difference in the speed and the cutting speed. And, granted, I know that there's their machines are a little bit older. Like, um, probably the blades are a little bit worn out. Ours is brand new. So it did cut really well. But... Um, I think the rogue just kind of put them in their places. Like put, the, <laughs> put those other augers in the back of the truck. Let's just use this one.
1: Yeah. I enjoy that thing a lot, man. I haven't got to use a Jiffy yet. So I'm excited to get my hands on it here and, uh, start punching, like maybe, you know, put a little fear of God into the ice out there.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We had the Jiffy. That was the, is that, that's eight inch flight on the, on the yeah. rogue. Yeah. And then we had, um, uh, I, I can't remember what it's a pro 30 out there. It's a uh, gas. Yeah. That one was pretty good, too. It was a 10-inch flight, but it ran good. Like First pole, it started. It was, a, it was a good machine for a gas machine.
0: Yeah.
1: Well, I know the, the reputation of those jiffies on the gas units is that you could basically pull that thing out from a Cold War bunker, and it should start on the first pole kind of scenario. <laughs> you might hear it from a, my buddy jokes. he will probably hear it from
0: across the lake, but it's going to start on the first pole. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you, you can definitely tell the the jiffy on the lake. Um, the funny thing is I I was never really like uh want to get a an electric auger t- type of guy but man do I like this new electric auger I'll tell you that much
1: <laughs> Yeah I would say I was in the same boat too and, and I'm even just listening to you guys talk and seeing them work I could see the some of the virtues of uh, a electric job Mhm yeah
0: Yeah
2: it's pretty yeah, sweet, it's, it's pretty sweet.
1: What was the highlight of the trip? Like, was there like a, something that stood out in your guys' mind or was it just like good overall? It sounded like you guys had fun. That's what I'm asking. And I, I didn't, I didn't get out there. So
0: yeah. Highlight on my end was just getting into some new territory out there. It was, uh, that lake kind of like surprises you. You, you kind of go through a bit of rolling hills, but it kind of turns into like a bit of a plateau. And then there's just this huge, like, it's almost like a giant river valley, but it's a, a lake kind of thing. And it's it's pretty cool. There's some pretty cool cottage country around there. Um, and, uh, the lake was pretty easily accessible when you got to the right point. And, and, uh, yeah, just nine there's a pretty cool little town. So, um, I always love going and checking out new places and I'm, I'm glad I got to head down that way. I definitely, definitely returned there.
2: Yeah. The highlights for me probably were being right at, um, right on the lake side. Um, at an airbnb where you knew after like on saturday it was kind of windy and i by the end of the day i was cold and i just knew we were going back to like a a nice clean comfy um place to stay and cook some food and and have a beer you know what i mean so that was very nice that was probably the highlight was that was our accommodations Uh, that was super nice um when it came to fishing it was it was a good to meet owen and get out and fish with him he's been kind of rocking the panel gear now for over a year he's one of our ambassadors so it's good to get out and actually get to know them and fish with them. And same with April and Melissa, they ended up coming out for, for both days. April's other full weekend. Melissa came out for Saturday, Sunday. Um, But yeah, just to get to fish with them and kind of just, just be able to just sit around and talk and, you know, shoot the shit with people that you just see on the internet lots, you know what I mean? So it was, it was Uh, fun that way.
1: Sounds awesome. And I'm, I'm, I'm jealous of not only the weekend, but that I haven't used the, the auger much yet. If I, if I, hypothetically, if I was going to get another Jiffy for myself, how would I get one? Uh,
0: if you want to pick one up online, head over to JiffyOnIce.com or, uh, you know, there's a few family-run fishing stores across the province that have them. I know Harvester Outdoors always, also carries the Jiffy line.
1: Yeah, speaking of Harvester, we were also, like, rocking some, or you were, Chase, some new gear. You had the, the Garmin 7 there, and um, you also had the...
0: Uh, ht enterprise's tent how did that stuff perform yeah i mean i have been inside the ht enterprise tent already so i i feel like first impressions should go to sheldon on that one um but obviously i really enjoy that tent it's got a lot more room than the the past tent that we had and it's nice that it's insulated um the garmin striker vivid seven pretty cool little unit uh really enjoyed putting out to work on the ice there um, yeah, could really, I, it was great. I mean, um, fish showed up, lots of fish, had multiple fish on there at once too. So it's pretty cool to see that performance. Um, excited to take it out and just learn that thing some more. Cause I feel like I'm, I'm still very, very uh, just uneducated on it as much time as I spent in the menus and everything, everything like that. I, I think I just need to put in the hours on the ice with it to really give it the, the proper review. But so far, great unit we kind of pinched some pennies to to get the seven over the five were you happy about that i think so the the screen is is i mean you can see it from i was sitting in my truck i had down on the ice and could clearly see everything that needs to be seen on there so um great there i think the real test for this unit will be when we throw it in the boat and we're out there in a hot summer day sun shining midday you know and uh see what happens that's pretty awesome. good for
2: pretty good for TikToks too, Chase. Hey, eh?
0: yeah. Yeah, I've been hitting up the TikTok heavy last couple days.
2: <laughs> you know, and the funny thing is, a lot of these products that we've been talking about can also be found at um Stillwater Adventures in in Verdon. I know a lot of people that are on the east side of the, the province, um, frequent harvester. For me, one of my fishing stores that I like to go to now that it's now open in Verdon is called Stillwater Adventures. So you can get all that stuff. That we were talking just talking about, like the Jiffy Ice Auger. They've got a lot of electronics, um, all types of ice ice fishing gear and even for open water gear coming up here in a, you know three or four months. But if you're going along Highway One, it's in Verdun, Manitoba, at 269 King Street East, and check them out. It's their brand new store. Their online like their online website or whatever is gonna be fired up here shortly. But if you want to get a hold of them, um, through, like, social media or anything, try out their Facebook page. They got a lot of stuff on there, showcasing a lot of the products they have. Um, but, yeah, that's my new fishing store, my go-to. That's Stillwater Adventures.
1: Man, I'm just scrolling through their social media here, too, and they, like, on Instagram, Stillwater Adventures, they've got quite a bit of uh, stock, it looks like, too. So that's that's kind of exciting.
2: Yeah, especially, like, kind of, like, a specialty shop. It's, it's you know, a shop just for fishing. So I know a lot of people are probably be – be going there for their stuff and uh they've got like wolverine supplies also there in Verdon. they've got a lot of cool things in Verdon that you can check out so now they can add a fishing store to that that chamber of stores that's awesome sheldon what, what were your first impressions on that tent? i don't want to let that uh slip away oh yeah so i was i was actually very very impressed because when i first when we first started talking about them i kind of had a different vision that it was something different but we set it up next to what was that chase uh was it an otter
0: yeah it was an otter yeah same style yeah, like s- five-sided otter
2: yeah and it was basically for size wise it looked pretty much identical from the outside i didn't go inside the otter um but yeah being insulated there's lots of room the thing that i really like about it um and i will put it to the test in a couple of weeks is that it looks like there's enough room where you can kind of sit back with two or three guys and then if you wanted to cut um some bigger holes to do some sight fishing there's a lot of room to do that, and then like or like Chase said, with it being insulated, the now you have a lot more options if you want to like stay overnight in it. Um, you know, and maybe just for heating it, it might take less. I don't know. I've never had an insulated one, so I'm very, I'm very impressed, and I'm I'm looking forward to using it more.
1: I'm wondering too, with the all black design, if it it would almost be like an advantage for sight fishing. You know, what I mean, in some ways, you're just getting that extra little bit of like blackout.
2: Yeah, that's true. Hundred percent, man.
0: We had uh we had your heater running in that in that tent, Tristan, uh, a couple weeks on, ago on the river there and it seemed like you you hardly had any heat on in, in there and it was pretty comfortable and it was a it was a fairly cool day outside as well so
1: yeah that i think that thing holds heat we uh we had it on wide open but we also had the door open and then once we closed the door i just cranked it down so mm-hmm i mean that's i think all signs are leading to like this is a good product so i'm excited about that
0: yeah definitely and then
1: yeah so i'm wondering too you guys got plans for the weekend or anything like that i we're kind of hitting uh i know i i hit the shock this week and it was again we didn't move along around very much but it was kind of like a a slow afternoon so slow morning slow afternoon so i'm i'm, ho- I'm wondering if we're hitting that kind of like january slump chase you'd
0: mentioned or hopefully we can get on some fish here but yeah things things always seem to slow down a little bit in january i mean you still have some good days uh especially on lake winnipeg you know you can you can really wander around and find some fish but um i think we're gonna have to do some wandering on the river as well with that shack to, to try and get in on some action um and then this weekend, I think, man, I'd like to try and hit the lake. We'll see. I had uh, I had been thinking that we we're going to do up some sausage, but if that ain't happening, I think I'm going to dedicate some time to uh, hitting hitting the river or hitting the river or the lake. Hopefully, hopefully okay. something I'm confused. Hopefully, hit something. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <I'll> hit something, <laughs> and hopefully There's not with step. my truck.
2: Yeah, I was thinking about the Pelican trip there, Tristan, and another highlight that I I, I have to mention. Is on Saturday night we got back to that um, to our Airbnb and we started cooking some food. We used uh, we cut up some perch and did some catch and cook perch. Um, April and Melissa made some jalapeno poppers and then we had a steak sandwich to finish it off. So the food was flowing. I thought you'd appreciate that a little bit. Oh, you, I know awesome, how you man. are with food, and I, I've heard that you're a really good jalapeno popper. Cooker. I was just gonna <laughs>
1: ask how did the poppers turn out because.
2: They weren't burnt. They weren't oh,
1: black. That's that's a lie. <laughs> I I guarantee you they burnt them because those things are impossible not to burn. Ah, <laughs> uh, oh man. Yeah, and then uh, so today we or like I mean obviously a little earlier we connected with Jan, Dan Johnson there. Chase, I'm just wondering what your impressions were. It was you and me on the mics for Dan and uh, I I I was thought it was a really interesting conversation for a lot of reasons which I'll I'll share in a bit but like Chase did you have any immediate reflections here on leading into the conversation with Dan
0: Yeah Dan was a super cool guy really passionate about the outdoors and and really passionate about you know uh, taking care of the outdoors obviously um that uh, he's a board member from 2% for conservation there he also runs that uh sports, Sportsman Nation outdoor network that's sport sports men with an e not an a um and uh he runs his own podcast nine finger chronicle i think he has a couple other podcasts that he does as well and uh but i think he said he had about 17 or 19 podcasts on that network so uh very busy man dedicated to bringing information and passionate people to the outdoors uh, industry here and it's uh i don't know really cool to see
1: yeah, and I'm not sure if he's um, 100% like this all the time, but, or maybe it's just our show that brings us out in people, but like it seemed like he was just down to earth and super real. You know what I mean? Like he was very open to sharing his perspective on most things. And we got like some, we started out like the podcast here, you'll see like some down and dirty discussion on maybe not dirty, but yeah, there's some dirt in the story on it, on his roots and the, the outdoors. And it was like he brought us right through his family and uh, you know some pretty touching stories on what that all meant to him. So I don't know. It just seems like he wasn't scared to connect, and uh, it was awesome to get that perspective on air.
0: Um, you know, like a real, real presence. Yeah. Yeah. No, that was great. He uh, definitely gave gave us a good look into uh, you know his life and his his uh, upbringing through the outdoors. Yeah, so we got to merge not only this
1: real like personal connection with Dan, but we also got like this high level view of like co- discussions on conservation and critical issues and how these things work, right? So and what the kind of maybe some of the next steps are for uh, you know not just the media but like the conservation movement as a whole. So it it was kind of nice to look at things with both lenses and get Dan's perspective because he's been in the industry for so long, and you could tell that he's.
0: He's not only invested, but he's a pro on so many levels too, right? Yeah, totally. And he's a family man, which is cool. Dedicated. So
1: we got to hear some of those struggles too. So uh, despite coming from all the way down south there, some of the commonalities were pretty similar there.
2: Mm -hmm. You know what's kind of getting crazy is that these intros, I'm sitting in on them and I'm finding these guests. I never get to do them. And I'm always just super jealous that... Tristan and Chase, you guys get to uh, interview these these unique people. That I'm like, fuck, I want to get on you know on these once in a while. So I'm excited to hear it. I'm excited to uh, listen to another one once again.
1: Well, we'll have to squeeze you in. And uh, since we don't want to let Sheldon or make Sheldon wait any longer, without further ado, we're uh, going to introduce Dan Johnson from Sportsman's Nation. All right. And we, we'd love to welcome today Dan Johnson to the Panoramic podcast. Dan, welcome. Hey, guys.
3: Thanks for having me.
1: Yeah. And uh, super excited to have you on because uh, you're repping not only uh, as a CEO of Sportsman Nation, founder of the Nine Fingers, Nine Finger Chronicles, but also a board member for 2% for co- Conservation. So I think we'll have a lot of cool things to chat about today.
3: Yeah. I, uh, one thing that God blessed me with is a mouth that doesn't stop. So (laughs) I, uh, make that how you want it. But, um, I, I don't know. I like talking, especially about the outdoors.
1: Awesome. So you, you saw a podcast and you said, Hey,
3: that's me. Yeah. Something like that. Uh, (laughs) whether it was a podcast or just talking to myself, it's, uh, kind of one in the same.
1: (laughs) Oh, that's funny. That's funny. Well, um, since you haven't been a guest guest before, I'll let you know that one thing we do to get to know our guests just a little bit better is we ask five burning questions, and that's just five rapid fire questions. Um, they may be hunting or fishing related; they may not be, but uh, answer as you will. And uh, okay. everyone gets these.
3: So, okay, buckle in. Give me one second. I got to get mentally prepared for this. Okay, maybe <laughs> okay, do I'm a, ready.
1: Do a little Pilates if you have the yeah. chance. Okay, I'm ready. Awesome. If there's one hot podcast out there that isn't the Nine fin- Finger Chronicles, what is that hot podcast for you right now?
3: Okay, so on the Sportsman's Nation uh, network is a uh, is a podcast called the Houndsman XP podcast, and this podcast uh, for the most part is about coon hunting, um, uh, sporting dogs. Uh, you know, using dogs to hunt bear and mountain lions and other predators but on top of that the the host there's a lot of layers to this podcast and this is why I I brought them on was the host is an ex-marine who has a passion for fighting for the rights of not just what he wants to do but all hunters so I'm I'm sending a lot of props his his way because he's taken on that responsibility of almost being the uh, the 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 guy on the network who all the action items, all the hey uh, they're trying to cancel this type of hunting in this state or this type of hunting in this state. he's on top of it and he's doing a really good job of uh, getting that information out to all the listeners
1: right so some very some some niche content, but also some very like, strategic ways to get organized and very mobilized around some of that, that activity as well. Amazing. Absolutely. Well, we'll have to check them out. Thanks for sharing that, Dan. Um, next one, something you don't leave the house without.
3: Ooh, something I don't leave the house without. I mean, I, I, (laughs) the first thing that popped into my head is my kids, but (laughs) (laughs) sometimes I, I do leave them at home if I'm just running down downtown. Yeah. But, uh, but probably just my, my wallet. Okay. Yeah. Not, nothing crazy there.
1: Yeah. That's an important one though. I always yeah. do the, the check, the phone, the wallet yeah. and uh, lately it's been my Leatherman check. So
2: there you go. Yeah. What's
1: your, what's your favorite cut on a deer,
3: like a white tail? The cut? Yeah. Meat wise. Oh, uh, it's by far just backstrap. I mean, oh, yeah. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna try to say I, Oh, my favorite cut is the stomach fat. Or the butthole, you know? like, <laughs> like, i'm not that guy you know yeah. so i uh i i love the the backstrap there's so many things you can do with it and uh i am i'm a huge fan of backstrap
1: well you're preaching to the choir man but if uh if you ever come across any good butthole recipes you just let me know because <laughs> I, I
3: have not found one yet <laughs> no i i i'm not the uh I don't know if I, I'll try that. You know, I'd have to be pretty hard up to just be like, hey, honey, tonight's butthole. You know what I mean? <laughs>
1: <laughs> hey, we're not here to judge in that any that, fashion. That might starter.
0: be a good way to, to get out of cooking dinner, though. So
1: <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> cool, man. Um, are you a, a fly rod or a baitcaster kind of guy? Uh,
3: I have a fly rod. I've never used it, but I am a, I'm a baitcaster guy. Um, and it was kind of funny, jokingly, my wife, her dad is a, like, I'm hardcore whitetail. He is hardcore, like, bass fisherman. Oh, yeah. And, and so, as a joke, she would say, hey, I'm not going to marry a guy unless he knows how to use a, a bait caster. So, I know how to use a bait caster. So, uh, whether that has anything to do with why she married me or not, she was probably <laughs> just desperate.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you could – uh Maybe put like a, a D loop on that bait caster or something. Yeah, you know, right. good, get a little bit more archery friendly. That's right. Cool, man. And uh, last one here, bringing it home. Uh, do, you, do you have a hero or someone you look up to either in the outdoors world or just in general?
3: Man, I was thinking about this the other day of, I'll, I'll kind of change the question. Uh, you know, in the outdoor world, I like to, I like, there's people out there that I admire, but I try not to be influenced by any anybody. But as far as someone out there who had a huge impact on my life, it's definitely my grandparents, like just watching them live and seeing how hard they worked. I hope someday that I can share that, that with my kids of what they like, what they meant to me. It's like, I don't know, I just live in there. I, I learned so much from watching them. And my work ethic and they're they were both farmers both families were farmers so you don't you don't eat if you don't work type of type of mentality so that kind of stuck with me
1: yeah uh we've asked that question a couple times on the podcast and family seems to hang or rank really high on that list yeah uh, I, i'm wondering do you have any any memories from the farm or your grandparents that pop out at you that would uh maybe stick out and kind of highlight what you what you kind of value in that relationship
3: or yeah I'll tell you right now man I just got the chills um, because like that's the that's the impact that those two locations had on my life and I mean if someone was to ask me hey Dan what is happiness to you happiness is those two farms like Climbing trees, playing with horses and pigs and cows and cats and climbing in the hay uh, mounds and and being barefoot running around without a shirt on and playing in the ditch and playing in the creek and driving tractors. And I mean, I could literally talk about memories from those places for days and days on end and who those people were and what they meant to me that it could almost be a podcast in itself. So um, just just. Memories, like so much positive energy and and people who were really selfless, if you ask me, like when when I expect specifically my grandma's like you want to talk about two women who, especially in today's world is rare that the the term unconditional love gets thrown around, but no matter what they loved you, no matter what. And um, maybe they were unhappy sometimes the things you said or did but they still love you no matter what. And, uh, man, those two, that, those four people just, I don't know, just just really, really big impact on my life.
1: I know. I know we're separated by a few thousand miles at the moment, but I could uh, definitely feel the love coming through on the, yeah. the other, other end of the phones here. So thanks for sharing yeah. that, Dan. Yeah. Um, I think there's something to be said for that kind of unconditional love you find in family, but also, yeah. Um, that the formative years of your outdoor experience where you cut your teeth in the woods of, you know, to speak proverbially. Um, We're going to obviously chat about all the things you got your fingers in these days, but we're always super curious about, you know, where people started and uh, you know, how did they get the ball rolling from themselves and how did that, I know a lot of folks who had parents that hunt or grandparents that hunted and they maybe shied away from it later in life. but you clearly leaned into um, the outdoor kind of lifestyle? Where I had did my you... breaks. I had my okay. breaks,
3: you know, just like it, I feel like, especially around that college, high school age, where um, social becomes very important compared to getting out and hunting. But if, you know, like I always, I always think about if I keep going backwards, if there was anything out there that really just had a huge impact in my life as far as what kept me outside. And I think just being like, growing up on those farms and playing in the dirt and worms and that in a way, and even my uncle would go to college and me and my grandma would run trap lines for him while he was there. So if there was still a live coon or a muskrat in the trap, yours truly would head on over there and beat him with a baseball bat until they were (laughs) expired. And, uh, you know, and, and then that kind of led to my uncle's taking me on a couple of pheasant hunts. Uh, fishing was something that we did all the time. And it wasn't until, oh man, 12, 13 years old, I, I got into bow hunting just a little bit. And then, like I said, the social thing, sports, student council, high school, college, I dabbled in, you know, hunting and fishing in, in those years, but it wasn't until I was 26 until I really cannonballed back into everything.
1: Uh, student council? Were you class president, or were you uh, making <laughs> no. a
3: political run? No. 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 No political run there. I. I just was on. The, I don't know. A, a class representative.
1: Okay. Yeah. That's fair. I did. I did that stick for a little while too, and it was. Uh, it was fun to see what that side of the table was like. Um, right. What happened at 26 that kind of turned you back onto the outdoors there?
3: Well. It was kind of a, it's almost like a country song, right? I lost a girl, a very serious girlfriend. I was just drinking all the time, making bad decisions all the time. And just, I I decided, okay, I'm going to go out and I'm going to go hunting. And I had this kind of experience where it was just like the perfect night. I don't, I didn't see many deer that night, but, or if I saw any deer at all, but it was one of those nights where it just was like so it hit me and it was just like i want to do this more and more and more and then eventually the hunting like took priority over partying it took priority over drinking it took priority over a lot of things that weren't so healthy in my life and then you know it, it eventually started to outweigh the negatives and it become it became honestly it just became this positive force in my life
0: that's awesome, man. When, uh, just listening to you kind of tell your life story here, I can really relate to a lot of what you're saying in like growing up as a kid and getting okay. dirty and being on the farm. I wasn't quite on like what I would call the same farm as, as you would be, but like our, our kind of farm experience or what we would call the farm would be like going to uncle nancy's kind of thing and being out in the country, like way back in the country and surrounded yeah. by farms and stuff and, and yeah. kind of mucking around in, in that area. And, uh, and then just like, same thing, adventures growing up with, with family. And it's not until like my later years now that I really look back and I'm thinking about like how impactful all that stuff really was to me. And, yeah. uh, man, it yep. just, it feels like we're almost telling the same story here and
3: it's yeah, pretty awesome. Uh- I hate to. I don't necessarily want to go back to it, but I, I will tell you this: like, just uh, you know, like when I when I grew up around death, right? You know, dead chickens or dead pigs or dead cows. You know, like you get to see where your food comes from. You get to experience that. You get to see how much hard work goes into everything. You get dirty, so then you become less afraid of getting dirty. I mean, you know, my kids aren't. My kids aren't too terribly bad, but we don't have that anymore in our life. So that it's just that, you know, I don't want to get too dirty. And then sometimes as parents, and I see this all the time, I try to, I try not to do it as a parent myself, but just take away the phones, take away the Nintendos, the screen times, and just, I know winter's kind of a bad time for this, but just to get them outside, whether that's just fresh air, play in the dirt run around play catch whatever it's just like i don't know outside being outside is is just such a positive thing
1: oh yeah uh we've got a 16 month at home right now and (laughs) we've we've tried to foster that as much as possible but it's come back to to bite us in the ass a little here because uh we we just got through like a minus 30 cold snap and he was very grumpy that he could not be outside all the time and uh uh I wonder, like, oh yeah, I wanted that. I asked for that. I prayed for that. But uh sometimes you learn <laughs> you learn that there's consequences to those seeds that you plant sometimes, right. I think, too. Right. So or
3: responsibility, right? That's right.
1: Um, and I, I'm I'm wondering too there, Dan, that um we we kind of we're digging into the the dirt in the past here a little. But uh, I also, you know, I can relate to the fact that sometimes you need to make a few wrong steps before you start really buckling down on the, the positive side of uh, of things too, and yeah. that's that uh, that that kind of connected me to like how how I engage with hunting too. Maybe not some I wouldn't characterize them as terribly negative steps, but I was going through harder times and yeah, um, you know, just started to hunt a little bit more, started to fish a little bit more. And like, just, it, there was like a, I don't want to say a pureness, but like I, I was more at ease when I was out there. And it, it it was really clarifying for me is like, yeah, this is, this is where I need to spend my time. I don't need to spend my time locked away in a cubicle as much as I need to. Right. So, You're right. um, There's it's, it's, a, it's interesting how the, that can shift our perspective.
0: There's definitely like a, an aspect of life though. I feel like once you get out of like high school, and it's just like freedom, right? And all you want yeah. to do is kind of socialize and and uh, be with your friends or go meet new people, meet a girl, whatever it is, right? And that kind of distracts you, I think, from some of the or can distract you from some of the stuff that is uh, pretty meaningful life and stuff that really is making a difference in your life. And um, yeah, man, every time now that I've I've kind of gone through that same kind of um, passage and my kind of focus now is pretty much any free time that i can get outside yeah i take advantage of that and i try and introduce my boys to that and uh you're talking about like that that perfect night that he experienced out in the woods that that one time and i'm I'm like every time i go out and and it's it feels like that perfect night i just you know try and take that in as much as i can and be like this is exactly why i'm here whether or not i draw back on something or not or whatever it may be you know Maybe we're on the lake that day, but no one's going to take this away from me.
3: That's a fact, Jack.
0: All right, guys, if you've been listening to this podcast for long, you know that iHunter has been a supporter of this podcast and us here at Panoramic Outdoors. You also know that iHunter is one of our favorite tools that we have in our pack, in our pocket, actually, every time we hit the field. And uh, not only is it in our pocket, but it's literally everywhere we go with us because it's on our phone. And if you don't know what iHunter is, head over to iHunter.com or download the app on your phone. Um, iHunter is Canada's all-in-one hunting app, providing you with high-quality satellite imagery on your phone everywhere you go. Beyond that, they have instant messaging, so you can message your buddies current weather forecasts, waypointing, tracking, public land maps, landowner maps, and everything you need in a mapping device. Throw the old GPS in the bin and uh, everything you need is literally on your phone with this app. If you're interested in getting some public land maps for a discount, head over to the website web.ihunterapp dot com type in the promo code panoramic 30 for 30 percent off your first public land purchase check them out now you won't regret it
1: i'm wondering how you you squeeze it in though dan because you've got a a family and you've got a number of plates in the air here between the the multiple podcasts and the platform the board member like uh i'll be honest like some days i find it hard just to get get outside uh with all life's obligation do you you got any tricks of the trade or something you could offer our way here and uh, manage your time or just yeah uh, there's
3: there's no tricks man there's no everybody's different i wish i could say that you know i i dedicate 30 minutes to deep breathing and outside time every single day but you know that's bs i you know today i've especially when it comes to running your own business now, I'm big enough to where I'm busy all day long. And so I'm in my office, you know, I, I drop my kid off at school, uh, or at daycare, my other two kids hop on the bus and then I come up and work until they get off the bus. And, uh, and then I, 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 I focus on dinner and spending time with them and then get them to bed and then start the day over. So it, it's, uh, <laughs> you know, it's, it's the same thing, just the routine. And then the weekends hit and I try to, I, I really do try to shut everything down, put my phone down, shut it off, um, leave it in the car when we go to maybe grab a bite to eat or, and just focus on the family when the time, when the time is right. And then work my ass off, um, when it's time to work.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, we thank you for for sacrificing some of that time for us tonight.
3: So it, it's great. Oh, to my my kids were being naughty tonight, so this is a blessing.
1: <laughs> okay, I know that feeling too. <laughs> I'm wondering. Yeah, uh, we, we you're chatting about your work a little there. What keeps you busiest at work these days? What do you What are you honed in on right now?
3: I mean, it's just managing the network and recording podcasts for my own my own podcasts. You know, so recording episodes for my own podcast. So. It's that and then the, the part of the job that no one every you know, everybody talks about the benefits of, you know, being self-employed and it's great, but there's things that you still have to do like clerical work or paperwork or taxes or all that stuff still has to happen as a business. And that that's the stuff that right now, this time of year, I'm really focusing on so that when. September late August September hits all I have to do is maintain content and go hunt my balls off so
1: sounds like a recipe for success
0: yeah i think I, that's uh, that's my
3: recipe anyway
0: <laughs> that's something a lot of people don't realize is all the all the work that goes in behind the scenes in in owning your own business and i yeah. like i i could imagine the the amount of extra paperwork you have to do i mean we we aren't by full-time by any means and there I got we got stacks of paperwork that we got to deal with yeah. as well and it's it's overwhelming at times yeah
1: uh Dan I'm wondering like what what inspired the the nine finger chronicles to to get off the ground and get rolling here I I know ours was kind of a uh there was a few beverages involved in a campfire but uh, uh how did you get your start
3: Well, I was the co-host on the Wired to Hunt podcast for uh, several years. And, you know, but Mark had his podcast out for a handful of months. And then I said, you know, I think I can do this, too, and take my content in a little bit different direction. Uh, He was, at the time, he was interviewing a lot of, like, well-known people. And I started interviewing, like, average Joes, right? Just guys who were getting it done but had no... Rec- name recognition so to speak and that's just kind of where it started and then it I you know I I uh, that kind of spawned into the hunting gear podcast and then that kind of spawned into the network as a whole and then you know started the network with like 3 podcasts and now I'm looking at my calendar my schedule and I think we're uh starting in February we're going to have somewhere between 18 and 20 Ooh. so yeah
1: I love the idea of a network. It uh, it's a it's almost a community of sort. I'm guessing where you, you can yeah. you bring people around the table and you're you're kind of energized around a common goal, but you're all kind of doing your own thing as well. Yeah. Um, what what do you look for in a podcast when you're kind of trying to either recruit or engage for the network? Like what? Obviously, I can see some themes running through the, the the shows here, but like, what do you really value in uh, the team you,
3: you've assembled so far? I, I value authenticity. I've, uh, I, I value people who aren't trying to go anywhere. Like I want to see passion instead of, Hey, I want to do this to make money. Um, and yes, that's, that's an important part of it. If you want to sustain it, but somebody who is passionate about what they do, the conversations that they have with people who they interview, how they interview, um, has a lot to do with it, but, I mean, you, we, I do vet everybody that comes through the network, but for the most part, a passion and authenticity and just like, when, when, some, when you hear somebody talk, you can tell that they have it or not. And uh, I've honestly had to turn down several people wanting to hop on the podcast or on the network. And I'm like, sorry, it's just not a good fit. And then there are some guys that are just like, this guy's in, he's got it. And, uh, that's, I use a little bit of, uh, gut and a a little bit of common sense. And so far it's all worked out.
1: That's great. And, and I, uh, I heard you talk about the, uh, the Houndsman XP podcast for 30 seconds, but it's very clear how passion just exudes from that, uh, what you just described there. Right. So,
3: yep, absolutely. That's amazing.
1: And then, um, so, so you've got the. You got the network going. You've got your own podcast running, but you found some time here too to give back. And we're we're talking about the two percent for conservation model. This is something I've personally been interested in for a while. I uh, I saw it pop up early, and uh, was really intrigued by that as not only a business model but like a conservation model. Uh, yeah. Can you can you explain to folks uh, just quickly what the two percent model is and why you think it's important?
3: Yeah. So it's very simple. I'm going to, I'm going to explain this as simple as, you know, anybody can throw money at and say, Hey, I'm a conservationist. Right. But unfortunately money, I mean, money's important. Let's not, you know, get it wrong, but walking the walk is equally as important. Putting, putting action behind words and money. So, when you know at two percent for conservation we say things like you know one percent of your time which comes out to roughly 21 hours a year and one percent of your earnings so if you make uh if you make a hundred bucks the math right you're paying one one dollar a year right so one percent of whatever you make and then uh and then what that does is it just it basically i don't know man there's something about about knowing that you're giving back. And the best part about 2% for conservation is you can give to whoever you wanna give. If you are a fan of butterflies and wanna join some kind of conservation effort for butterflies, that counts. If you love toads and you can prove that there's a toad conservation, that counts. You like deer, that counts. Any conservation effort, worth giving to is a good, you know, is good in in our eyes. So um, whether that's on a national level, a state level, a local level, um, it all, it all counts. It all helps. It all matters. And uh, that's why I, I like 2% for conservation because it lets the individual or the business decide where their passion is at and what they want to do.
0: Mm-hmm. Man, that that's an awesome model because, I mean, yeah. especially nowadays, you get you get groups that are so separated, or you're on one yeah. side of the fence, or you're on the other. Even if you're after the same goal, in uh, in wildlife conservation, you know, um, and it's it seems to be in some places is getting uh, the gaps getting larger. So, um, for for you guys to bring pretty much everybody that's interested or has any sort of interest in the outdoors or wildlife yeah. together. And, uh, I mean, that just makes a stronger force going forward in, in, in any spectrum. So,
3: yep, absolutely.
0: I, I was really
1: intrigued by, by the model because there's, there's a lot of models for funding conservation, especially in the U S you have like the, the Dingle Johnson and the Pittman Robinson stuff. Yeah. Uh, you have obviously state and federal funding that, that goes towards conservation as well up here we'd have provincial and federal funding um but this is more of a like uh, grassroots mobilizing engaging engagement yeah. strategy of sorts right it's yeah. it's it's uh it's there to to highlight and celebrate conservation um and you've managed to merge like not like two percents managed to not only get people excited about it, but they've got people to walk the walk and uh, put their money where their mouth is at the same time. So I, it's, it's a thrilling idea to think (laughs) about from our end at least.
3: Yeah. Well, and it allows people to, this is one, one reason I like it. I think a lot of people get turned off by taking part in some kind of conservation effort because they think that they have to, do it as big as humanly possible. I have to donate money or time to the largest conservation effort that there is. Um, But that's not the case. And in my opinion, I feel that the closer you stay to local, it's more rewarding because you're actually able to see the change that that conservation effort has made. And you can show other people in your community this is conservation this is what i did this is what my 21 hours did it built i don't know duck duck houses or it helped uh plant native grass or, or volunteered or i picked up trash uh you know and this this is what i did and my money went to this right i decide where my money goes my money went to this and you can share that and you can you can get people excited about conservation on a local level where I feel that's harder on a national level.
1: Mm-hmm. And I know locally too, even like uh, Chase, I, I forget all the agencies we've had chats with, but like Delta Waterfowl, for example, where they have their chapters locally, um, you know, they're a huge fan of reinvesting in the local community as well. And that's one thing that they, they, they advertise quite well is your, your conservation dollars. When you donate them, they're staying in the community, right? Which is, um, you know, something I get excited about too. <laughs> You start donating
3: to like a a really big organization and you don't earmark that money. Well, there's a chance that, that, that dollar, that dollar is actually going to pay someone's wages instead of actually going to conservation. So like, for me, when I, when I like say, Hey, I want to give my money to somebody. I want to make sure I have some kind of say in what it does and, when you when you give that money locally, you have a, a bigger sway, I would say, compared to like giving s- some mediocre dollar amount to a, a bigger company or a bigger organization. Yeah.
1: And Dan, I don't know how much you know about Manitoba, but we've got a few prolific marshes up here. So, you know, that's one of the reasons I mentioned Delta. But we the other thing I, I think, too, is that we've got a I can think of a few guys in my mind, guys or gals who were like born around those marshes. They'll probably die around those marshes. But you know, if you give them $5, it's just amazing to think how, they, they do the work cause they love it. You know what yeah. I'm saying? I'm not, I'm not here to knock any of the, the larger um, kind of uh, conservation groups, but what I am saying is sometimes, you know, those people who are really embedded in the community are, are doing it just because that's what they love um yeah. Yeah. I, I think sometimes those are some of the cool projects that you can find too just by doing a little research yeah, yeah absolutely uh, i'm wondering too where you must be have sunk your teeth into some pretty cool projects being a board member and kind of obviously you're uh the the sportsman's network is a, a member of the net uh two percent too so have you have you had any like fun experiences uh donating some of your time back to the conservation world
3: Well, like I said, I've kept it local. So one thing that we uh, try to do is I spend time with my kids. I pile them in the truck, and then we have a big swath of public hunting ground near my house. And so we'll drive the roads, we'll stop at um, the parking spots. And because people are dirtbags, there's always litter there. And that's one thing we, we, we pick up a lot of litter uh, and, and garbage. And then what we'll do is we'll, we also have a a four-wheeler or excuse me, a a golf cart that we cruise the the roads with, and there's always beer cans and and trash and we'll, we'll pick that up. So uh, it's, it's fun getting the kids involved as that, but as far as any big projects, not, I, I, I've, I've pretty much donated my money to, um, i don't know local in the past local efforts in the past and then the time has just been spent basically with the family and trying to get them involved
1: and i would to downplay that though because uh when i hear you talk about that that's um i think you're getting a little bit of compound return on that investment there my friend yeah oh yeah uh, yeah so not only are you kind of giving back to to maybe a parcel that not doesn't get a lot of attention i would imagine yeah um, but you're also like you've got your whole family out there engaging it too, and you're you're setting up values and uh work and kind of engagement that's gonna transfer for hopefully generations, I think it sounds like is the plan. So Yeah, I hope so. Yeah, I, I think that's fantastic. Um Chase, did
0: you have anything more on the two percent side that you wanted to touch on? Um sorry, I just had to get my dog hop top up on the bed here. She's whining at me. Um, I'm curious, how does, uh, so, I mean, we, we get to see the 2%, um, I mean, advertised around, uh, like lots of the social media platforms. There's, there's lots of 2%, uh, certified people that are, you know, really huge influencers of the media world. Um, how does like a grassroots person or a grassroots business get certified as that, uh, how would they go about getting certified as a 2% member?
3: Yeah. First, first you need to go to fish and and I'll, I'll just keep it simple. Go to fish and wildlife.org. Everything you need to know is on that website. Read up on it, reach out to um, our administrative team and get the ball rolling. It's very, very simple.
0: Right on. And then uh, obviously have in mind the the uh, the commitment portion there. Right.
3: Yeah. Um, yeah. No, know, know that, you, you know, in order to get certified. You're going to have to give 21 hours a year and you're going to have to um, donate 1% of your, your income. Mm -hmm. So it, and it's uh, you know, it's, I don't know, it's uh, it's worth it if you ask me.
0: Yeah, totally. I think, I think a lot of people do some something like that or something close to it um, to begin with. So I think um, having them think about what they're doing and maybe, either donating a little bit more money or putting in a few extra hours in the field, you know, can go a long way for them as well to get that certification. Absolutely. Um, I'm, I'm curious. Uh, uh,
1: I'm, yeah. I just wanted to hit on one more note. I'm, I'm guessing there's also this tangential benefit out there where we're almost documenting all the contributions that uh, hunters and fisher people make to the conservation effort in some ways too. Do you know what I'm saying? Like it's, it becomes this living document that says, Hey, um, that we care. This is why we care. And yeah. t- take a look at our body of work here. Don't tell us that we're just trying to. You know, we're brutal killers or you know, uh, merciless Fisher people out there. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, like this is this is what we're really about. Um, and it's yeah. it's it's living sustainably and it's it's giving back, right? Yeah,
3: that's a fact. That's and that's a and it's a badge that I I like to wear proudly.
1: Right yeah, on. You have to, I think. And I think we always have to keep uh, promoting that. And the fact that we've or your team there has figured out how a, a way to do it in even more systemic fashion. Like, that's awesome.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I'm, okay, I'm
1: sorry. Cut, cut you off there. Sorry.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of curious, Dan, too. And uh, I, you've been immersed in that uh, 2% world for a while. And you said, said, like, you know, just cleaning up the land is is one thing that you do. Um, to, to donate your time and I think that's one thing everybody could do to, to get involved and, and just clean things up but um, what are some of the other things that, that you've heard about that uh, you know either or super cool little projects or ways for people to give back or something that you know uh, struck home with you is there is there anything that stands out?
3: so I won't I won't give a specific example but what I will do is I will say that there are, there are places like every county especially in the state of Iowa uh, has a conservation board Uh, so you know uh, blank county conservation every state probably in the entire country has some form of conservation board whether it's regional or county or you know southern part of the state or northern part of the state whatever and they are always looking for volunteers and people to help with projects, whether it's something as simple as picking up garbage or uh, a while ago I had a, uh, a wildlife biologist on and uh, they had broken down a levee. There was cattle cattle runoff running into this popular lake. It The lake got basically infected with E. coli. And so they bought the, the property Uh, that had all the cattle on it. They planted it in grass. They, they uh, put all these different like ponds, like runoff ponds in the uh, uh, leading up to the lake so that any, I don't know, bad water would catch in these ponds. And then it would go through this natural grass filtration system. And now that water in that lake is crystal clear. People were able to volunteer by planting some grasses, by planting uh, some some actual aquatic grasses as well, putting together uh, like duck like duck houses. And there was a a lot of uh, volunteer opportunities there. And uh, so what I would say is they're always looking for volunteers. So reach out to a local conservation board and just have a conversation with them. And that will I have a feeling like motivate you to want to do something that you actually love.
0: Yeah, that's amazing, and that that's a great example of of something that makes a a huge impact. That that's very yep. tangible that you can yep. see. You can go there and see yep. um, when you're talking about that. Uh, you know, clearing up the lake there. So yep. that's super cool. There, there's a, there's a wide variety of stuff. Even so, I kind of know. I got the in at a, a local conservation. <laughs> are, are kind of the largest conservation group here in Manitoba, uh, the Manitoba Wildlife Federation. And, um, you know, they're all, like constantly looking for volunteers as well. Like some of these, these conservation groups do not run without volunteers properly, right? So even at like uh, an office level, you know, we try and get volunteers in there to help do some of the paperwork, some of the membership stuff and, and all kinds of stuff. So there's, there's all kinds of different ways that you can get involved that's
1: fact. almost like a double-edged sword though because i know every time we have like a conservation leader on our podcast it's just so energizing and so inspiring that you're like oh man i'm gonna go save all the ducks tomorrow
3: (laughs) 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 yeah it's definitely not a one-day thing
1: yeah but they're just so passionate you can tell that they're so uh they've been a lot of folks have been at it for so long that uh and they're they're still just going just as hard. It's really inspiring to watch. Is is really what I'm trying to highlight here?
3: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Um, I'm gonna ask you maybe maybe a harder question here, Dan. And I'm I'm gonna ask you because you you kind of got your thumb on the pulse of things in a lot of ways. You're you're a board member for one of the larger um, conservation kind of groups around today. You've you've got a network of I, I think 26 podcasts here, maybe 27. You were saying. And so, like stepping back and looking at the outdoors world, we're we're constantly berarded by certain narratives, like hunter hunter and fisher numbers on their decline. Um, you know, we're losing public land space. Um, you know, some some pretty negative thoughts. But I'm wondering, like, what do you think the the future of the outdoors person is? Like, what do you what do you what are you hopeful for? And where where do you think we really make some gains here?
3: Ooh. I don't know, man. <laughs> <laughs> Pack it in, man. <laughs> hey, I get. A, do I get one Mulligan? Yeah, get one mulligan? Yeah.
1: Well, you, we can leave it. Whatever
3: you want to do, man. No, uh, um, that's a that's a really great question. It's in depth, but I am a. I, I try to be. I'm not all the time, believe it or not, but I I try to exude positivity and um, so. My answer to that question is just like, I get to talk with a lot of people on uh, uh, more than the average guy, obviously. I I, I do hundreds of, you know, I do 150 podcasts a year, just me. And then on top of it, I get to listen to some of uh, some other content coming out of the network. Uh, I get to, you know, I listen to other uh, podcasts and people talk and I think the vibe is good the vibe is good one thing that i think kind of kills us though as far as we would be better we would be a better community if like we would just stop bitching about each other right this this group of people versus that group of people you should have let this one go you should have shot it i (laughs) i only shoot you know deer with giant antlers you should have let that one walk i only hunt for meat. Like. To be honest with you, nobody gives a shit. Like I, I look at a, I look at a big deer get shot and I go, oh, that's cool. And then that's it. Like, Mm -hmm. I'm not like, I don't know. I think, I think as a community, there's a lot of infighting that needs to stop. And then we're putting the focus and I think we're starting to see a small change, the, the, the big deer craze, the big animal craze is, is going to be here to stay. Don't get me wrong. It's going to be here to stay. But if we just bring that focus out of the antlers in the rack and, and the score and the age class and put the focus on the experience, I think it'll all work out. Oh
0: man. I can, I can't tell you how many times, like I've gone cruising through the, the Facebook forums and a lot of times it, it actually like I, I avoid posting stuff on like the hunting forums just cause I know yeah. there's going to be a handful of guys that are going to try and eat you up on whatever you post. And it doesn't matter if yeah. it's a, whatever, big buck, a small buck or something, but somebody's going to just take a dump all over it pretty much. And, yeah. and, and it's, it's scared a lot of people out of those communities, which sucks. And yeah. I, I think, I think uh, like when I think about the hunting community, you know, a lot of these people who were commenting on the, on these posts and, and maybe are douchebags are douchebags. And, and, yep. you know, maybe they're, maybe they are legit and maybe they only shoot big bucks or whatever it is, or maybe they're just a keyboard warrior, just trying to puff themselves up, up a bit. But the, I, th- I think the, like, when I think about like the hunting community is it's not like we all have to be one thing or the other. If you're a deer hunter, you exactly. don't have to only shoot monster bucks if you're, if you're hunting ducks it's not like you only have to go out and shoot limits every day or whatever right it's it's there's a there's a whole spectrum of hunters in there and we don't necessarily need like everybody to be within one little sliver of that we need the whole spectrum to be present there and like we need to try and represent everybody in that in that spectrum and and that's yeah. the best way to go moving forward in my opinion yeah i i agree man
1: one, one thing I've been tooling around in my head and I've been trying to figure out how to make sense of is um, I, I know in the hunting and fishing and conservation world that there are tough conversations that need to happen. It just sometimes it feels like it's hard to parse those out from all the noise that you see on social media. Um, you know, I can think of some of the, the work that um, we had Lantani on. From backcountry hunters and anglers, and uh, you know they're they're doing some just incredible work, but you know they're they're also having really tough conversations about what it means to to use land and how do we use it in the most equal fashion possible. Yeah. Um, so it's just interesting to me that uh, I I think you, you hit on something important there, Dan. It's, we need to choose where we focus our energy on and where yeah. when to have those tough conversations, and maybe when it, we're just nitpicking at at certain points, right?
3: Oh, that's a fact. I mean, look everywhere you turn. There's a new article coming out about um, some anti-hunting legislation attacking uh, bear hunting or uh, some kind of hunting uh, in an urban setting. Or they're out there trying to cancel us every single day. Yet we do nothing to we we do nothing to fight that until it's too late. But yet, we'll put in energy to um, berate somebody on bad shot placement on the animal that they just killed. Like I don't know, it's a bunch of bullshit.
1: Yeah, I feel you, man. I and I also saw an article the other day in uh, Victoria, BC. I think they're trying to uh, they're trying to outlaw duck hunting, and I almost spit my coffee out just thinking. Oh yeah, (laughs) thinking what that would look like.
3: But here's the thing. Here's the thing. You laugh at it now, but then one day you'll wake up and you'll read an article saying, hey, guess what? Duck hunting's banned now because we we don't do anything. Hunters aren't doing anything to support their brothers, Um, whether that's a, a guy who uses dogs to hunt bear, whether that's mountain lion hunting, whether that's deer hunting, duck hunting. We're not on the same page. We don't support each other when we don't do that. And little by little, those hunting rights are getting taken away from us. Yeah,
1: we we have to be organized and we have to kind of uh, support we each other, support each other and be engaged. Yeah, we can't, right. we have to kind of put down the keyboard for a second and maybe uh, call our, our state or provincial representatives, maybe. Okay. Yep. Okay.
3: That's a fact. Yeah, I appreciate
1: that. And so we took a look at kind of the broader horizon there. And, you know, that, that was the right answer, by the way. So I want to congratulate <laughs> you on that one, then. Thank you. Uh, yeah. I was worried you were going to say buttholes for a second.
3: But. <laughs> I've already used uh, that one up enough tonight.
1: Yeah. Okay. We're good on that front. Um, I, I'm wondering too, uh, w- what are you planning for sportsman's network here? Cause it seems to be just rolling ar- along, but like uh, uh, you're an ambitious guy clearly. And uh, yeah. I, I get the feeling that there's, there's some other things on the horizon for you.
3: Uh, I'll just answer that by saying yes,
1: <laughs>
3: because I mean, there is, there's there's moves that are being made on a daily basis right now, and I mean it's this is where the the guy who started the network didn't realize that this guy who I am now has to make like, good business decisions at this point and and, <laughs> and do research and do cost analysis and do all these things that are boring as shit to do, but I got to do them uh in order to make the you know the right business move um but expanding and growing and uh just trying to get our message to a bigger audience which is you know the passion and love for the outdoors man
0: mhm for sure I'm I'm thankful that we we have a group of 3 here because uh where one of us lacks it certainly the other fills in but um, I, I, I could imagine the struggle I would have running uh, an operation like that by myself because it, it's always cool to think about you know doing your passion or revolving your your a business around your passion. But like you kind of mentioned there, you got to be a businessman while you run this passion. Yeah. It's not like yeah. you're just doing it.
3: And you learn real fast what is important in your day and what is efficient in your day. And there's a whole bunch of other nonsense that just by repetitiveness gets worn out of you know, like just gets worked out of your day because it has no it adds no value to what you're trying to accomplish. And and that's negativity is one of them. So I try to, you know, not listen to the negative the negative and, and really focus on the positive And that tends to lead me in the right decision making.
1: I, uh, some of my uh, day job here is working in the mental health field, and I might steal that one from you, Dan, to, yeah. to share. And uh, just because it it's a great example of how you need to focus on strengths and kind of build on those, not not really dwell on what hasn't gone right for you, right?
3: Well, at the same time, at the same time, when it comes to like just negative energy, it not only brings you down, but it brings everybody around you down. And now it's just this chain reaction of negative, bad feelings and bad vibes. And then your day is ruined, right? So even if I'm tired or if I'm in a bad mood, I'm just like, I'm trying to just be positive. And then guess what? If I'm positive and my kids are having a bad day and they see me be positive, and it's not like this every day, trust me, (laughs) but they go, okay, yeah, dad's in a good mood. Maybe I'll be in a good mood or my wife's in a terrible mood and I'm in a good mood and it might rub off on her a little bit. But, um, and, and just even, even the guy who serves you your coffee, thank you. Have a good day. You know, Mm -hmm. that shit, that shit goes a long way.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. You got to put it out there. You can't just, you got to live it. And sometimes
3: even if you, even if you're faking it, right. I mean, just, just, just be positive yeah walk the walk for sure yep.
1: how how many of the business decisions do the kids make that's what i'm curious about
3: <laughs> <laughs> absolutely zero <laughs> they, they uh, right now they like, my, my youngest can't even make the toilet sometimes all right so i'm not i'm not giving him any room
1: yeah i got mine punching on the keyboard right uh yeah. well, well not right now but you know like earlier in the day and it's uh he's uh he sees dad spent too much time on the computer so it's uh yeah. he's up there too so i gotta watch yep. out for that yep i gotta um,
0: i gotta i gotta prod you here dan um you know i, I spent quite a bit of time in the outdoors with my boys and and uh for about a year and a half i was a stay-at-home dad so i had a lot of time to take him out and we yep. did the deer blind and we did a lot of fishing together but um i certainly don't have all the answers and i'm curious you seem to be spending quite a bit of time with your kids which is awesome in the outdoors and uh what are some of your your tips to to keep everybody happy and and just excited to get out there
3: just keep them moving right just keep them moving if if like especially with kids i'm kind of the same way man if i sit still too long then that's when all the bullshit starts to happen (laughs) right you 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 get kids stationed too long and then like in one spot too long then they're just like all right, let's got, Hey, let's go to the next spot. Let's go. Whether that's just, Hey man, today is a park tour. Let's get in the car. We're going to go to this park. Then we're going to go to this park. Then we're going to go to this park or whatever. You know, when I'm, when I'm actually playing babysitter for the day, the goal is just to keep them moving. And the real goal is to wear them out, (laughs) you know, so that, so that they go to bed without much of a fist fight. Yeah. Oh, that's funny. I know that feeling too. Yeah. Like all I care about is them burning calories.
0: Yeah. And that, you know what, uh, like turning back to the, to the topic of, of, uh, sending out positive vibes too. That goes a long way for your own mental health when you're, when you're getting out in nature with the kids and they're happy and, and you're getting that fresh air too, man, that goes a long way. I know. I know it used to for me.
3: Yep. That's a fact. <clears throat>
0: Dan,
1: I'm wondering what's going to get you outside here the next few months. Do you have anything on the books, anything planned you're looking forward to?
3: Well, really, as far as outside is concerned, uh, small chance I do some ice fishing. Uh, but other than that, it's just I got to move some trail cameras around. I might dump some corn out uh, and get some, get some trail cameras just to see what deer made it in the areas that I hunt. And then, uh, you know, February is you start the the shed hunting so you know looking for uh deer antlers and and other than that then it just kind of goes into the spring where we're talking about turkey hunting and fishing and mushroom hunting and uh i don't know just try to try to work time away from this desk and into uh uh getting some fresh air mm-hmm. nice
0: what kind of what kind of forging you doing down there what do you uh what kind of mushrooms are you going after
3: morels
0: nice
3: well uh, mostly morels but at the same time uh this year i've expanded my my uh my basket so to speak and i've started looking for the uh the yellow oysters as well oh yeah and they're they're equally delicious
0: nice nice
3: that's yep. awesome
0: we've yep. uh we're just starting to dabble into that game too we're probably a couple of years in and and uh yeah. it's it's been a lot of fun Nope. Yep. um now, Dan, you're obviously an avid bow hunter and
3: understatement.
0: <laughs> so, I I've I've purposely held this off to the end of the podcast so we don't get any <laughs> in any arguments over this, but uh okay. what kind of bow are you shooting?
3: Oh, right now I'm shooting a a Bowtech uh Solution.
0: Nice. Yep. Good man. Yep. Um I'm I'm not I'm not biased by any means, but you know some guys get pretty worked up. So, um are you uh, are you like bowtech at heart, or are you open to you know whatever feels good in the shop when you're going to look yeah. for new bow?
3: So I just kind of if it feels good and it feels better than the other you know other bows that I've shot, I, I try to shoot as many as I can, and then that led me to bowtech this year. Like I shot a whole bunch of different ones this year. And the one that I liked the best was the Bowtech solution. And that's what I, that's what I went with. Nice. Nice. There's no brand loyalty or anything like that. It's just, uh, that bow felt great this year and, and, uh, I'm shooting really good with it and I'm going to continue to shoot good with it and I'm happy with it. And yeah, that's, that's really how I make my decision. Yeah. Whatever works. Right.
0: Right.
1: We'll we'll send Botech a fifty for you there. It's for the or we'll uh we'll send the Botec check in the mail to you. <laughs> <laughs> no biggie. Um, and then continuing with the whitetail focus too. Uh, any any shed hunting tips for the spring? Like how you how you doing it down in Iowa there? Um, I I know it's not exactly the Manitoba landscape, but uh, I'm sure there's a few things that transfer over.
3: Yeah, really. There's only two two rules keep your head down and walk. Like <laughs> that's it, man. I mean, I wish I could sit here and give you some, you know, mind altering answer to something that's very simple, uh, which is you, you literally just have to walk and cover ground and grid search. Like you're looking for a deer. Yeah. There's going to be some spots that might have more of a chance of finding them, but I've, I've found sheds everywhere whether it's in the middle of a gravel road to a bedding area, to a food source, to a fence jump, uh, to thermal cover. I mean, I found them all, they're all over the place. You just, mm-hmm. you just gotta go put your head down and start walking.
0: Beat the next, the the other guy to them. Yeah. Which gets
3: harder and harder every year. No kidding.
1: So, sounds a lot like foraging or at least how I'm trying to forage it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, so when you're, you're, are you starting to target bucks already? Or are you, are you kind of waiting until, until like later into the summer, even?
3: Yeah. Uh, basically that, that corn that I'm going to dump here in the next couple of weeks is just to know whether or not certain deer hopefully made it through the season. And then really I look for their sheds and then I forget about them until July or August. And the older I get, the, honestly, the less time I spend, trying to identify deer. I pretty much just make my moves during the actual hunting season, try to find a couple hit listers worth going after and, and play that game. But you know, the days for the most part, the days of knowing every deer, how old they were, what, giving them a name for the most part, that's, that's over for me.
1: That makes me feel a lot better about my own yeah. scouting technique. So I, I want to thank you for sharing that on the <laughs> podcast, Dan. <laughs> because uh yeah, sometimes I look at uh, some of the hunting media and get overwhelmed at the amount of time that some folks are able to put into the not just scouting but prepping and um, heck I don't even know that many names and some of these guys have uh, you know every name you can think of under the the sun for for deer in their yep. area so yep um, makes it makes me feel just a little bit more uh, maybe valuable in my skill set. <laughs>
0: Uh, yeah, Dan, we've been on for quite a while here and, uh, you know, we haven't really gotten a real good hunting story out of you yet. And I feel like it would be, we'd be doing our fans a disservice here if, if we didn't get a good, uh, a good hunting or a good outdoor story out of you.
3: Oh boy. Um, you know, I don't know why this one came, is coming to mind, but so I'm, I'm, I'm new to Western hunting. I mean, I've done, I've gone on mule deer hunts. I've been on a handful of elk hunts, but I'm new. Okay. So not this year, not 2021, but 2020, I I hiked two miles into a piece of public set up camp, hiked another mile in, got to a glassing point and started glassing for, for mule deer. That morning was a bus. So I went another half mile down to another uh, glassing spot and uh, you know, decided this is where I want to set up for the afternoon. And so I saw, uh, a, a decent mule deer buck and I'm like, oh my God, he's bet he, he's on his feet. Now looks like he's going to be going to his second bed. He, he goes into a little cut, he beds down and I'm about mile, three quarter miles away. And I put on this elaborate stock on this animal and, you know, uh, I'm taking my time. I'm, I know exactly where this, this bed's at and I'm just creeping and creeping. This whole thing took, this whole thing took, I want to say an hour and a half, two hours, this stock, put this stock on. And it was just, I felt like I was doing everything right, right? Getting close. I'm to the point now where I'm just like, I can't see him, but I know this is where he's going to be. So I knock the arrow. I get everything right. I'm, I'm, I'm doing everything right. I draw back, step out and he's not there. (laughs) So so that, that kind of experience was very humbling for me where it's like out there, that kind of hunting, just because you put in the time and, and do it, think you do everything right. It's still nothing's guaranteed in really any hunt and uh so i had to laugh at that and and get back on my horse and, and try it again so uh but i'm failing a lot out west and i'm trying to uh, to learn and, and do better but uh, that that's kind of a that's kind of a, a story that really reflects what i'm going through right now as a spot and stock mule deer hunter out west nice
0: that's all right well right? it yeah. almost it almost feels like a similar story to like some of the stuff we're transitioning to out here cuz we we've we've grown up and and we've we've learned about like how to hunt the the big woods here in, in Canada and through our transition and life here with children I'll say we find the the agland is definitely more accessible and, and closer to us and uh we've been doing a lot of failing at the agland hunted <laughs> so yeah yeah and
1: I I was going to offer I know there's no non-resident tags for elk in manitoba but dan if you ever want to come trek through some of the thickest bush you've ever seen in your life and have absolutely yeah. no shot at uh shooting an elk <laughs> um, just just come hang out with us in manitoba man it's the best
3: sounds <laughs> tempting
1: yeah it's uh it's fun all the all the poplar and uh, what do we call that other stuff there chase the Willows hazel, and, brush. Uh, hazel brush that you can shake a stick at uh literally um it's there for you man
3: yeah. Awesome. I'm, I'll, uh, I'll put it on my list of things not to do.
1: <laughs> well, Dan, it's, it's been a pleasure having you on and it's, it's been great to get to know not only the, the 2% vision, but, uh, what's going on at the sportsman net nation and, uh everything that's going on in the network and also just to get to know you a little better. So yeah. Uh, Just a huge thank you for coming on. Huge thank you for the work you do and the the energy and the positivity you're putting
3: out there for the, uh, the outdoor community. Well, I really appreciate you guys having me on, man. Uh, Thank you very much.
0: Before you leave here, Dan, why don't you uh, plug the, all the Sportsman's Nation channels here and uh, where we can find you.
3: Yeah, really. All you need to do is go to wherever you download your podcast, type in Sportsman's Nation, S-P-O-R-T-S-M-E ns nation and a whole bunch of stuff's going to pop up right you can you can go to google you can go to itunes or um spotify or wherever you download your podcast and everything you need will pop up
0: nice and uh folks can also find the sportsman's nation on facebook and instagram as well
3: yep that's correct
1: awesome and so once again uh thanks to dan johnson for joining us today absolutely thank you
2: Hey everyone, more exciting news coming out of wool love They've got a new sister company called North Wool Apparel. North Wool builds on the advantage of, of the 100% merino wool base layers from wool love and it adds in the flexibility and durability of Spandex to create a premium mid-layer that will keep you warm, comfortable, and odorless free so you can squeeze out those extra that extra time out in the ice, winter camping, hiking, doing whatever you love to do in the wintertime. All of us at Panoramic have been wearing this stuff for over a year now, and we love it. So, they got two cool new garments in with the Northwall sister company. They got a men's quarter zip up hoodie, and they also got some women's leggings. So, if you're looking for something to, uh, you know, maybe that mid layer garment, you should check out Wool Love. That's wool.love. Check out Northwall. And right now, you can use Panoramic 10 for $10 off the first purchase. It's available on Amazon and through the website, like I said, www.wool.love and just look for the North Wall Project. The promo code is only valid with the Wool Love site, so please check them out. That's wool.love or check out their Instagram.
1: Thanks again for uh, Dan Johnson coming on the podcast. Dan, great chatting with you I appreciate your perspective on just, again, the, the multitude of levels. And, uh, yeah, looking forward, hopefully, hopefully one of these days, one of these guests will take us up on our catfishing offer, Chase. I don't know if we've seen that yet, but, uh,
0: maybe one day we'll connect. Maybe they're just thinking it's like a a catfish scheme about catfishing. (laughs) We're going to catfish (laughs) you. Yeah. (laughs) Give us your mother's maiden name. Yeah. No kidding. Um, I'm curious here. How do you, uh, do you think right now as as we stand do you think uh, personally you, you'd be uh able to apply for the two percent for cons- conservation um, certification
1: well I def I do hold a, a few memberships I was trying to crunch the numbers in my head when we were talking about Dan I do hold a few memberships um, and especially like the last couple of years I think I had a membership the MWF Delta and backcountry hunters and anglers. And I think there was another one in there. I can't remember off the top of my head. So I was like, yeah, that might be pushing it for the, like the monetary side. And then as far as like the actual conservation work, um, I haven't been involved in a lot of that lately. Like panoramic takes up a good chunk, right? So mm-hmm. um, we do put a lot of hours in here, but um, I was thinking like, yeah, maybe that's something that you could like, I could start being a little bit more intentional in my life about just doing a, you know, a couple weekends really is what it comes down to in a year, mm-hmm. you know, or like two days in a year, just going out and like uh, Danny's example, picking up garbage. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So
0: I don't know. I think it's, I think it's achievable. What do you think? Definitely. I think, I think uh, if, if you know, you're mindful of it, I think it's super easy. Um, I mean, every time I hit the woods, I try and pick something up garbage wise and uh i don't know if this counts but we do do quite a bit of advocacy work through the podcast here you know just for conservation and stuff like that and uh there's a lot of hours that we put in towards that so maybe that counts i'm not sure we'd have to talk to somebody about that
2: i was gonna say a lot of those things you guys just said in my mind do count especially like things that i don't think you guys really think about one thing that always comes to mind is like tristan with your uh little bee house that you you build you know to make sure there's some bees for those uh native grasses and flowers that are in your your little acreage like stuff like that i think a lot or not i'm not saying a lot of people do it but you know people do that and and don't take any recognition for it but you know even just growing gardens and doing all these other things i think is is good for our our little world our little world in the world
1: that's that's a good point sheldon if you uh I didn't really think of it that way. And if you count like the actual time spent, given my carpentry skills on that bee house, I should be good for (laughs) a number of years of certification here with 2% for conservation. So um, I got that going for me, I guess. Well, fellas, what can we look forward to online here? Just thinking about like uh, what's going on for Panoramic. I know that we've got a few back orders going just because stuff's so hard to source right now. But uh, is there anything that we can look forward to?
2: Um, I don't know if there's much to look forward to other than our hats are still in back order. So we're short (laughs) a few different styles of hats. They've been in back order since I think the end of August. Um, so is very disappointing, but we're trying to, trying to get that all figured out. Um, the other thing I guess we could mention too, is our ice fishing event did get canceled for January and we will be pushing it back to a later date, which we're trying to work on kind of, um, here and there wherever we have a little bit of time we're trying to figure out a weekend obviously COVID is is the main reason why we're pushing it back uh, we want everyone that can come out to come out so um yeah hopefully maybe the end of February is kind of the next weekends we're looking at and if we can't do it at the end of February we have to do it early March and after that we might have to cancel it for another year but for anybody that's been asking us I mean we've had quite a few messages about it um that's where we're sitting
0: right now so mm-hmm and then uh, I think one cool thing coming up in on the calendar for us is a little whitefish trip headed up to Clear Lake in the Riding Mountain. So looking forward to that. Um, more on that when we come back for sure. And uh, Tristan, you put up a little new uh, cooking blog there yeah. recently. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah. So if you're interested in like another way
1: to uh – to cook your venison maybe a, a fun experimental way at least it was for me go check out the blog there the the recipe book on our website um i do do up a little venison vindaloo so for those who aren't familiar a vindaloo is like a curry and uh, got the whole write-up in the recipe there um first time kind of adapting
0: it but i think it turned out pretty good chase did you see your little plug in there i did i did see the plug in there and i'm i'm also curious because um Clearly, I'm going to have to give this recipe a shot because I did up a uh, venison vindaloo um, a couple months ago and uh, I gave some to you and I didn't hear anything about it. So I'm assuming it tasted <laughs> like dog turds. <laughs>
1: That's funny. You know what? I Maybe I just didn't pick up on the fact that it was vindaloo. Maybe I just
0: like, hey, here's a... Here's just a, you know, like a really earthy dish. Here's, yeah, here, but here's, here's my take on it too. I was like, because I've never even had Vindaloo before, but I heard you talk about it so highly and I was looking for something new to create. I was like, I'll give this a shot for all this recipe. And it wasn't terrible, but I was like, ah, I don't know if this is it. I don't know yeah. if this is something I could be crazy about, like you talk about. So I feel like I'm probably missed the mark on it. Yeah. I think part of the other factor there for me, the wow factor, is the the one that I get at the
1: King's Head is is so goddamn hot that it it's almost made me hallucinate sometimes. So, um, <laughs> I think it's just a bit of a trip sometimes more than anything. And good cost, it crushed maybe four to six beers. So yeah, um, little, it it's,
0: it could be an experience more than anything. Little tachycardia when you're throwing that one back.
1: Yeah, yeah. We'll bring the paddles for you, Chase. Yeah. <laughs> Well, all right, boys, It's been a good one. And uh, unless there's anything else that we want to tap into here, maybe we should bid our guests good, goodbye. You betcha. So until we see you next time on the ice, there, you want to keep your stick on the ice, uh, keep those jiffy blades sharp. And uh, what's the last one there, fellas? Keep your batteries charged. Oh, yeah.